All right. Gabe, are you ready in the back? Hell yeah. Mike, are you ready over there? I'm ready. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Glass Half Sports. Today is July 7th. I hope everybody enjoyed uh, their 4th of July weekend. I know me and Mike had the opportunity to get up to the lake uh, and in, uh, enjoy what we assumed was going to be a little bit of sunshine, but just turned out to be cloudy, cruddy, northern Minnesota midsummer weather, um, which is accurate with the status of sports right now, which is just kind of dreary because there's not a whole lot going on in the month of June or July as we are just 63 days away uh, from NFL football. I am one half of your hosting duties as always, Nick Huffman, and joined as always by my trusty co-host, Mike Mensing. How you doing, bud? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having the the fam damly up at the cabin this weekend. Uh, the whole fam damly. Yeah, like you said, it, it was unfortunate the weather that we got, but honestly, sometimes it's nice to just get away Yeah, and get a break. And uh, I'm thinking it's possible that's the case with sports currently too sometimes you need to be able to get away you know get away from the excitement a little bit to understand what you do have when when sports is in full swing well just know folks while all of your other favorite sports shows aka the pat mcafee show and rich eisen and ian rapaport and everybody else that covers sports is on vacation me and mike will be right here to fill you in on everything that's going on even if there is nothing that's going on every week uh mike what platforms can they find us on if they would like to just come on over to this side of the wall because we don't take breaks over here. No, we don't. Uh, like always, guys, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, YouTube, Patreon, and we do have a Twitch. Which Mike shall be on shortly. We're actually gearing up to get that live. So Yeah, Glass Half Gaming. Yes, sir. So um, what do we have for the folks today? Uh, as always, we do have a big show, even with sports having a small lull. Uh, so we are going to talk Twins check-in. So we actually have two weeks to do. But about two weeks, yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about a new guy in town for the Timberwolves. Mm -hmm. There's a couple new guys, actually. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to do our UFC recap. Yes. And I'll actually try to participate in that one a little oh, bit. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, and then we have our AFC West predictions. And if we have time at the end of the show, we'll do our hot corner section. Yeah, we got like three random things that happen that we should possibly touch on um but we can uh start with recapping what's been going on in the clubhouse of the minnesota twins um please table your disdain for byron buxton's batting average there michael um and it's we 18 by the way if you didn't know he's batting 218 he also has 22 homers and has played more we're not gonna start this um but the team has been good good to see them back in first place after uh they were kind of injury riddled there for the month of June, Joe Ryan went down. Um, Sonny Gray hasn't been right. Jorge Polanco goes 10-day IL. Correa was still getting back. Um, obviously, we're still getting a limited version of Byron Buxton. Kirilov was down at AAA for a while. So just some different things that they were uh, dealing with. But um, the big bats are back and healthy. And same thing with the young arms. They are back and healthy. Smelter, Ryan, even guys like Chris Archer playing well. Um, you know, through the pre-4th of July break and kind of coming off of that. What have you seen from from the team so far as they've recaptured first in the AL Central? That was something that we talked about at the beginning of June as well, was that the month of June in and of itself was somewhat difficult. Yes. So going into the month of June, I believe we had a four-game lead in the Central. Coming out of the month of June, I believe it's a four to four-and-a-half game lead. Three-and-a-half. Three-and-a-half. So throughout a tough schedule in the month of June, we actually only lost a half of game. Half game. And I actually feel pretty dang good about that. Yeah, especially considering at one point in the month we were three games back. Right. So there was a little bit of a swing there that uh, we like to see. Right. For sure. The, the one thing that's holding this team back, um, compare it to other teams that are leading their division, we are the sixth best team out of those six teams. Yep. 
the biggest thing that's holding them back currently is bullpen. Uh, by a mile. So I was thinking about this. Do you think we could call the Padres? Um, mm. We'll offer them Pagan and Paddock oh. for Rogers. Oh, you think they'd do that? Hmm. Probably not. Probably not. It's okay. unfortunate. I wonder uh, why they wouldn't do that. And probably because they knew going into this that they were getting the better end of that deal, much like a trade we're going to talk about later to begin with. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, honestly, that's, that's the biggest thing that I've seen is his bullpen. Uh, bats are hot. Starting pitchers are definitely decent enough. Um, the only, I guess, it's kind of a double-sided coin because the starting pitching is good enough, but it's also <clears> not going deep enough. Yeah. And then the bullpen is probably the worst in baseball or close to it. So we're giving the ball over to the bullpen earlier than most teams, and our bullpen is also worse than most teams. That's not a winning combination, even when you have good bats. Yes, Mr. Paul, you are correct. I just saw him doing the uh, trade thing, so I'm just a little late on it, that's all. Um, But, you know, my my question about this comes in the form of, I know we've got a lot of really good young pitching talent, even going down to like low A ball. If you've been paying attention to what the Twins farm system looks like for pitching, is it not time if our middle relievers and our long relievers can't get it done to go, hey, Balazovich and Simeon Woods-Richardson and some of these other guys, we're going to call you up. You're going to take on a bullpen role and really start to get you some MLB experience out of the pen knowing we're probably not going to have Sonny Gray next year, probably not going to have Chris Archer next year, probably not going to have some of these other starters to back up Smeltzer and Ryan and Paddock if he comes back. So let's get you some work and see if – because that's got to be an improvement over the bullpen help that we have now. I don't think it's a bad idea because even if they perform the exact same way that our bullpen is performing now, they're getting those – lumps out of the way exactly putting it under their belt they're learning they're they're expanding their career from there instead of using guys who are maybe a little bit longer in the tooth yep and are having those same sort of struggles so i don't think that that would be a horrible idea actually um one thing i do want to comment on is even though the bullpen has been shaky i would say the twins are actually very fun to watch and that has continued over the past two weeks buy some tickets is what mike's saying (laughs) i mean or just catch them on peacock or Apple TV or whatever weird streaming platform they're playing on tomorrow. Yeah, you can watch them on the cock. Nick really Jesus wanted that one. Christ. So let's uh, let's turn to the upcoming games. We've kind of recapped the past couple weeks. Yeah. Do you um, want to shout out any any players really quick over the past two weeks? Well, yeah, we had our, our, our clubhouse leaders up there. Um, Correa leads the team in home runs over the last 15 days. Kirilov, surprisingly, 12 RBIs, 12-plus uh, RBIs over the last 15 days. Arise, 19 hits in 15 days. Who's fucking surprised about that? And then believe it or not, Smeltzer's been the best pitcher. Um, three earned runs over 13 innings and two wins for a guy that, you know, we admitted is this is the year he's going to kind of have to decide whether or not he's going to be a rotation piece. Um, pitching well. I, I know that Smeltzer really doesn't like the pitch clock. No. Triple A. And uh, maybe it's just uh, that little extra motivation that he needed to make sure <laughs> that he stays up. Yeah, true. Uh, so team's playing well. Um, and then Byron Buxton should be in the home run derby, regardless of his average batting average. He should be in the ground out derby. I was going to say, it would be fun to see him in the home run derby, but he's going to ground out to short quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, All right. right. Game's coming up. Um, I know that we have a short series against the Rangers uh, on the road before we return home to do the two-game border battle uh, against the Milwaukee Brewers before I believe our next opponent would be the White Sox um, in that game. Uh, with a three and a half game lead, Mike, expectations for these uh, f- next five games in six days, or five games in six days? 
Rangers are below 500 right now. They're sitting at 37 and 43. They're third in the AL West. They've got some guys that can get you, though. I mean, 37 and 43 is, yeah, not a horrible team. No. You know, a couple games here and there, they're sitting 500 or better. Right. With that, though, we need to take advantage of who they are. They're a third to middling place team in their division, and we need to win the series for sure. Two out of three. Yeah, I would agree there. And then uh, take the, I would say, one of two games against the Brewers. Brewers are a good team. They are. I was with gonna, I was looking with for some lights right out pitching. So they are forty seven and thirty seven. So very similar record to our hometown team. Um, it is at home. Yeah, Just take I one mean, for sure. One. Why not sweep them? Go for it. Okay. Why not? We're at home because we're probably going to get like Corbin Burns and their second best pitcher, who is they're both Cy Young candidates. Okay. That so will yeah, be tough. Young candidates have lumps during the season. <laughs> Maybe we can make it against us. That's true. So um, it's good, though. That would mean inching closer to the All-Star break with a th- four to five game lead in if, the AL if Central. If we go into the All-Star break, yeah, with a four to five game lead, I'm very confident. Then the you make the trades that need to be made. Um, it does put us in a good spot to keep Correa throughout the season. Yes. Um, you know, versus And keep Correa in the next season. Five games under. And yeah, down the stretch, it would be very nice to see, you know, maybe we don't have to wait until September to see some of those young names pop up in the bullpen. Oh yeah, for sure. So let us know what you guys think about the current status of the Minnesota Twins and (laughs) how do they do in the next week? Yeah, now let's argue a little bit. Okay. Yeah, we're going to have to do that. So Minnesota Timberwolves, stand up, sit down, because none of us are all that excited. Um, We can start with the big news, which started as a rumor damn near three months ago. The Minnesota Timberwolves... Made some moves, the first of which for Rudy Gobert. The trade consisted of Patrick Beverly, clubhouse leader, clubhouse and locker room leader. Vanderbilt, attitude and hustle guy. Malik Beasley, who we this we both agreed should probably have gone. And then what, three or f- four first round picks for a 33-year-old with a hefty price 30. tag. Or 30-year-old. He'll be 33 by the end of the contract. Um, that is good, not great. I'll let you start before I absolutely rip this to shreds. You want me to start? Yeah. Okay. Um, Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Walker Kessler, and Jared Vanderbilt. Not one of those guys started games for the Timberwolves last year. Mm. They were all role players. Okay. Role players are easily replaceable, especially Malik, Be- uh, Malik Beasley. Patrick Beverly is a great culture piece to have, but he can be a detriment as well, and we did see that in the playoffs. Uh, Walker Kessler, his absolute top ceiling potential is maybe Rudy Gobert. Okay. And then Jared Vanderbilt, that's, to be completely honest with you, out of the four players, that's the one I'm a little bit bummed to see leave. Yeah. with picks. Picks are always tough. Uh, Let's not forget, we did trade Mm -hmm. Leandro Balmero as well. Yeah, sure. So, bum around that one. The ball boy. Whatever. (laughs) Picks are always difficult. Um, it's it's unfortunate that you do trade away your future in, in a way. Oh. However, we're not getting the same outrage we got from the Minnesota Wild leveraging their future. The Minnesota Wild leveraged their future for a one-year winning window. That's what no, the Rudy Gobert trade gives us at least two to three years of a winning window. Mm. It expands Cat and his game. Mm-hmm. And the picks that we've seen in the past for the Wolves, I mean, I, I'm, I don't want to write Tim Connolly off, but if... One of those picks was a Shabazz Muhammad. I'm not bummed to see that pick leave. Okay. 
Now, what Rudy Gobert brings to the Minnesota Timberwolves is a defensive presence in the middle. That doesn't just apply to paint defense. That allows guards to be more aggressive and play better perimeter defense, more on the on the ball defense on the perimeter. Okay. If they get beat, Rudy Gobert is standing in the middle as the best defensive center in the league, waiting for that guy to come at him. Interesting. We have the best defensive center in the league and the most offense or the best shooting big man in the league as well. We have a okay. Twin Towers specialty. Rudy Gobert is also great off the pick and roll, which will help D'Lo in a contract year. And I am extremely excited for the Minnesota Timberwolves, along with the front office of the Minnesota Timberwolves and the majority of Minnesota Timberwolves fans. Okay. So I'm going to let you go. I'm going to retort yours, and then I just, you can retort my retort. Mine is just going to be a series of questions, and Gabe, feel free to chime in here. Do you want me to answer these questions, or yes. are these rhetorical? Kobe Bean Bryant, Michael Jordan, Dirk Nowitzki, D. Wade, Steph. There's five names there. What do they all have in common? They've all been career players with one team. Mine is D. Wade, who left towards the end after LeBron dismantled Miami, right? And Michael actually played for the Wizards. After but... he unretired. What what was what what do you think keeps a superstar in his own city long term? Pieces around him. The ability to retool instead of reset. Would you agree? So would you say my answer of pieces around him is yeah. correct? Okay. Yeah. But you need draft picks to do that, right? Not necessarily. With a salary cap like the NBA, look at the Lakers right now. I mean, the Bulls did it pretty much without a salary like without drafting they went and got rodman they went and got kerr they went and then and they draft players well, they drafted all their role players we've seen that with some I mean, of lebron's Tony coach was a good draft pick but other than that i mean why do you think majority that, of it was actually signings yeah why would you think that an nba veteran would give a shit whether it's a draft or a i mean golden state warriors one of their best role player this year I don't, in the finals was andrew wiggins which who they, they traded they for acquired your tr- and didn't draft so. absolutely correct but they've I, I, drafted the rest of their roster they drafted really well to support Dwayne Wade for a long time. They did the same thing with as much as they did get free agents to sign in L.A. All of their impact role players, L.A. drafted while Kobe was there. I mean, Shaq was a pretty big role player that wasn't. I, I just think there's there's two different roads to meet that final okay. goal. And everybody, it's, it's it's a sliding scale, right? What's the, some teams are 100% draft. Some teams are 100% free agency. Here's one thing that I will say. It's, it's fun to see the, a Minnesota sports team not just go the draft way. Totally agree with you. Okay. Totally agree with you. The other part of this is, who do you think is a more valuable asset to this team long-term? Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Edwards? Give me, give me your long-term timetable. For the betterment of the franchise, five to ten years so down the line. Five to ten, I'd say Ant. I'd, I'd say three to five, it's probably cat okay. at this point. That's fair. With that being said, do you know when Ant's contract is due? I don't know that off Next hand. summer or the, or the following summer. In the middle of when you're going to be paying both Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert and D'Angelo Russell all $28 million plus. So unless you then all of a sudden have to turn around and dismantle one of those three pieces, one of which you just leveraged your future for, you then cannot pay Anthony Edwards. I can tell you right now the piece that will be left out of out of that is D'Lo, 100%. I'd, I'd be willing to bet any amount of money that when we go to sign Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell will no longer be a Timberwolf at that time. And I, what are you going to get be, from Cat when you cut his best friend? I, I, 
I think Cat understands it's it's a business at a certain point, dude. Like, okay. I mean, if if he has if Cat has Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert, and role players, a decent point guard, because that's all D'Lo is at this point in time. Um, I don't think Cat's crying if he's got a ring on his finger. I really don't. That's a tough. That winning a ring in the NBA is tough when you're yes. a small market team. Let's keep that in mind. We're now, last team. and not least, the thing that I took the biggest issue with about this entire trade was the fact that the Timberwolves have yet again folded to Cat in his inability to mature as not only a person but as a basketball player. They brought in Rudy Gobert to play defense and rebound. Cat mm-hmm. is a super max big man who you are now telling him, don't worry about it. You don't have to play post-defense and rebound. The same way that they folded to him when they chose him over Jimmy Butler. And if we would have done that, we would have a core right now that looked a little something like Jimmy Butler, Pat Bev, and Anthony Edwards, which I would take over D'Lo, Cat, and Anthony Edwards. I'm sorry. The grit is just there better on that roster. They have time and time again. And Cat is a top five big man in the NBA. But at some point, you got to start to hold him accountable for the type of money that you're going to pay him. And I promise you, as much as people think he's going to get less rebounding fouls, less charging fouls, less, less defensive fouls in the paint now, him uncontrollably rolling downhill or playing on the perimeter is only going to make him softer and worth less than the money that you just signed him for. Three things. Dirk Nowitzki was an offensive efficient machine. Yes. Didn't play great defense. Okay. And he played the four because of it. Yeah. Tim Duncan and David Robinson, mm-hmm. a Twin Towers phenom team in San Antonio to the start of Tim Duncan's career, was ridiculous to go against defensively, mm-hmm. even though Timmy D wasn't great at defense. Yeah. Because he could go out on the high block or the perimeter, almost let his guy pass him, understanding that he had someone, the Admiral, Totally gotcha. And now Cat has the same thing. So even if Cat gets beat on the perimeter, I'm really not worried about it because his guy is going right into Rudy Gobert. The third thing is a quote from Tim Connolly, the guy we just paid a lot of money, millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, to do this job. Yep. So this is a quote from the president of basketball operations for the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's a near perfect fit. We think Jaden McDaniels can be an all league defensive player. And now we just got the best defensive player in the world. So that gets you pretty excited. With Jaden McDaniels, Rudy Gobert playing defense, Cat as the most efficient big man offensively in the league. You have Anthony Edwards, who's a great star. I, I, I see where you're coming from because it was my initial reaction. As you go further into this trade and see how they're actually going to play together and gel together, I'm very excited for this Timberwolves team. Last week, I said five seed was kind of the benchmark or waterline, I think, was the sure. term that you used. I'd say four seed at this point. We're looking at home court advantage as the goal this year in the playoffs. You get home court, that helps you win round one easily. Okay. The, the only other things that I have to say on this specific topic for this trade, when was the last time, and I'm talking 10, 15-year period, and let's subtract Giannis's Milwaukee Bucks because Giannis is a point forward, not a paint presence. He's not a back-to-the-basket player. When was the last time an NBA team won a championship with two big men? Like two true seven-footers. The, the first one that pops to mind uh, without referencing internet in any way, shape, or form would be the Detroit Pistons. That's going to be 2000. 
2004, 2005, so okay. about 15 years ago, 17 years ago. It's uh, been a long time. It's, it's, it hasn't been done effectively since then either, though. But so it's, teams it's have not- tried. Many teams have tried. Can you give me one or two off the top of your head? But- Andre Drummond, uh, his Pistons team had it for a while. The Clippers had Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan in Lob City for a while. Um, I, I would rather I would take Cat and Rudy Gobert over Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. Though. With, That's my point. It's no, like I totally get it. Guys are two top five players at their position, and I don't think that has been replicated to that extent. For sure, the Lakers couldn't had a hard time doing it with Bynum and Gasol. Right. Philly can't do it right now with Embiid and Tobias Harris. You, it's a very, very difficult to win when you have two big men. And then the examples that you gave me of Nowitzki and Duncan, I think everybody out here can agree that the basketball IQ and maturity of those two legends dwarfs what we get from Cat on a night-in, night-out basis. And that, I believe, is the difference. I wouldn't disagree with you. I think that's one of the reasons they made this trade is they're going to free up Cat and basically allow him to focus offensively because now he has a big man behind him who can play that defensive role. Now Cat can be more free on the offensive side of the ball, not have to worry about defense as much. I think you see a very efficient, prolific, possibly, scorer out of Cat this season. I I get it. On the offensive end, that's great. We live in an offensive NBA. But if you're going to sit here and tell me that I wouldn't have gotten probably not three-time defensive player of the year level talent, but something very effective and efficient in a two-man team between Vanderbilt and McDaniels over the next three years at a much less expensive price than what I'm going to get for a, it's a, it's a for Rudy Gobert. It's a cheaper price. Yes, it's a worse product at a cheaper price. And they would have only gotten better. Gobert is at his ceiling if not ready to start taking steps back as the league gets faster and more explosive and he gets older. Let us know what you guys think about the latest Minnesota Timberwolves trade. <sighs> they did make one other acquisition. Do we want to talk about Kyle Anderson at all? Yeah, I mean, I think it was uh, a, a wise move. He plays the four well I think, defensively. I I think with the way that that trade was done and this move was done just prior to it, you can almost throw Kyle Anderson in that trade talk, right? So, like, in theory, you went Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson for what you traded away, right? Sure. And that makes the trade even more appealing to me. Kyle Anderson can come off the bench, can come in and play some good defense. Yeah. He's six eight, six nine, and long. Um, I think it's a really good role player. Don't forget, we do have Jordan McLaughlin, whom I'm actually a big fan of, coming off the bench. Great pick and roll player in and of it, in himself. Yep. Running that with Gobert. Um, I'm very excited for the Timberwolves this year. You guys will have to let us know what you guys think. I think that's going to be part of the formula for the small ball lineup. I have seen some things on ESPN. Now, listen, I'm not all pessimist, right? I'm just pointing out the the holes that we may see in advance, right? That was my argument with the Gobert thing. You and the everybody on sports media. Hey, there's going to be a lot of issues when Minnesota goes to play a Golden State team or a Memphis team, very small ball, very fast, up and down the floor. I think that's when you see Cap move down to the five. You have McDaniels or Anderson playing the four, Anthony Edwards at the three. You know what I mean? There is a rotation there that will allow them to compete with that team and still score. I think the argument of us going up against small ball lineups is a valid one. However, two things. Gobert moves a lot better than people give him credit for. He's no dancing bear, but yeah. Um, And two... It can also be intimidating for a small ball lineup to face two seven-footers on the inverse. If you slow the ball game down and make sure that you're efficient on the offensive side, 
Yeah. They have to hit their threes or else you're going to win that ball game. True. So it could go either way. True. It's a double-sided point. All right. So what are the uh, Timberwolves' chances or what are their odds now moving forward? To win a title, you think, final, like, let's let's look at the next three years. Two-year deal for Anderson, three years for Gobert. Cat got a four-year. I would go as far as to say the Timberwolves' odds to win a title in the next three years is the highest it's been since 2004 with KG. Okay. And Spreewell in them. When was the last time you felt this good? Well, I guess you don't feel very good. No, I, listen, I do I, I do good. feel good. I just think the pre- – and everybody on mainstream media has said it as well. The price tag that was given up was too high. Sorry. We'll see. I like the team. I think they'll be did, three did you, or a four seed this year. Did you hear how Connolly basically uh, explained the price tag? He knew what yeah. he wanted, and he knew he could afford it, is basically the term that he used. He knew after having 60 days with the team, not being here to see these guys play or to check out the locker room culture, that getting rid of Pat Beverly, the guy that helped turn this team around last year, was something he could afford. To leverage four first-round draft picks of guys in a young core, something that you said last year was the antithesis of what was going to be the Timberwolves' success, was something he could afford. I'm sorry, I'm not that worried is, about a first-round draft pick in 2029. It's 2022. You yeah, have but a winning window now. How about if, the 2023, if, 2024, and 2025 one we gave up? The 2024 is actually a swap. I'm so just saying. 2023, 2025, 2027, and the 2029 is actually top five protected as well. Okay. It's Once you get into it deep, it's not as bad as it seems. Plus, in theory, we should be drafting at 22, 23, 24, 25 next year. Mm-hmm. In theory, if we have a good team, which we should. And is the 28th pick worth giving up for a run deep in the playoffs? I don't know. Uh, Can I break in quickly to yeah. um, um, just to shed or just to point out, um, you know, we talk about, or at least I definitely talk about how cat is uh, like a, a crybaby type guy. Yeah. And that one of your arguments during this was uh, how do you think cat's going to feel if he loses his best friend to play with? <laughs> yeah. Like we have normalized his fucking crybaby shit now. It's it's just amazing. You've only empowered him Some more, of us right? Have. Some of us have his best. You've friend. done it. I've I've never heard that. I, in a I, I don't take. I don't think making a professional personnel move will irritate him to the point that you're thinking it will. Not getting him when he went to Golden State versus coming to Minnesota almost had him not re-sign the last time. That's probably the guy who keeps him from crying most games. Good lord, we'll see. All right, but yeah, I think it's a three seed or a four seed consistent consistently through the next two to three years and a finals appearance, whether that be of conference or NBA likeness or or this is a flop. If we don't get to the Western Conference Finals in the next three years, this I, will, a fail. I will agree with you, yes. Do we have, um, how about this, what are we missing or do we have the point guard play? So I don't, a, I don't, championship? Yeah, so point I, guard play. I don't think Connolly is done. I really don't. I wouldn't be shocked to see D'Lo gone still, uh, if I'm being completely honest. Is there a guy out there? Dame. There, there's a few, and that's the thing too. Is like if you Dame. if you bring in if you bring in two guys that one is a point guard that's maybe a little bit better than Jordan McLaughlin. Even we had Patrick Beverly, which by the way he I could come take, back. I would take he is going to get bought over Pat Bev. To be if, honest, if he does get if he gets bought out. In Utah, because that's the rumor right yeah, now. Because they don't want him. And if you're Minnesota, who 
We embraced him last year. Probably, I will say, better than well, when he was. Did you see in... his tweet? Do you really want to bring him back yes. after he tweeted that? Yes. What did he tweet? Basically, screw Minnesota. Like, I gave you everything. He did. He came in and flipped the locker room, and Colony said, fuck you. I wasn't here for that. It doesn't matter. So he got upset about it. So I'm just catching up on that guy. to be a professional basketball player, and, like, of course, you should, in theory, be boosting the locker room. And if you get traded, it's part of the business, right, Nick? Do you think this trade makes it, you know, because the NBA is basically run by the players now, right? Do you think that this move is done in part because it will now attract someone like a Damian Lillard or, or, you know, whatever? You know, I would not be surprised even to see Gobert go if there is a a package put together to bring in a guy like Dame or to bring in like a legitimate top flight superstar. Dame's the only one. Dame's the only one left. But like if somebody were to be like, oh, well, the remainder of those draft picks between 27 and 29 or whatever and – you know, D'Lo and another player, sure. Would you be behind that at yes. this point, both of you? Damian Lillard is the best guy in the NBA, personnel-wise, I think, by a mile. As far as fit? Well, not only fit, he's great in the pick and roll. He's so great he, in clutch so moments. Saying he's the he distributes the ball. And he understands what it's like to be loyal to a small market team. I don't think Dame's going to go to L.A. or Brooklyn or New York or the Heat or whatever. He's going to go to a small market team that is set to win a championship and try to get it done. Just so you know, for future reference, Minnesota is typically known as a medium market. What small? We don't have a championship. Small market till we get one. That's not how that works. It is for me. I've never even heard the term medium market. Same. <laughs> but but you're right. We're the 13th largest metro area. So, all right. Well, finals or flop? Our finals of some sort or flop? Western Conference or better? And I think we will. All right. I truly have faith in this Timberwolves team. All right. UFC 276 recap. Gabe, did you get a chance to watch the fights over the weekend? I certainly did. How? What'd you think? It was a very disappointing uh, pay-per-view, I thought. I thought it sucked ass. You know, there's a lot of people out there that have said this. I will. We can start with Israel Adesanya and and Alexander the Great's title defenses, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, the other image, Gabe. Okay. Um, Volk blanking Max Holloway, who is an all-time pound-for-pound great. The way that he did, I think, has qualified him undoubtedly once his hand heals for champ-champ status. Um, I think it only continues to separate city kickboxing from a lot of the other gyms around the globe right now with the talent level that they have in-house. Not that Max fought a bad fight, but Volk just went in there and busted him up and Volk, or, you know, Holloway didn't go down. He looked so, he looked fucking overwhelmed. Like he had Mario Brothers invincibility. I, I mean, it, he was so much faster. Like, mm-hmm. the gap between them was so wide that it actually, in my mind, subtracted from Volkanovsky's greatness in a way because it's like, there must be so something wrong with Max. Right. Like, I mean, that's how far apart it was. It was unreal. Yeah. Um, the speed was insane. Exactly. I and mean, my God. Now for, talking shit immediately. Oh, for sure. Fight. For sure. Yeah. And then the Izzy fight, for me, we kind of saw this with Anderson Silva, mm-hmm. where his talent level as well is so far ahead, but it's what he puts in front of you with the different variety of striking that he has available. Like, 
You can't blame Izzy for the performance he put on. You can't. Cannonier stood there like a wet, like a wet blanket and didn't move. Like yeah. just because you there's no entry points. The Izzy fights damn near perfect from trying to get close to him. His length, I mean, these guys are killers. The guys that Paulo Costa was knocking fools out. Um Cannonier's just the look of his strength. Like, I mean, he looks like he could ragdoll any person on the planet. He fought at 230. I mean, he's got knockouts in three weight classes in that picture. He looks badass. Yeah. Yeah. He he just, it's, I mean, I'm right with you with the Izzy thing. That was my exact take on him. Just that you go, look, man. Yeah. Was it a boring fight? Yes, it was. But Uh, he has reached a certain echelon. He's a counter puncher. He throws those jukes. Uh, What is confusing to me is how a guy like Cannoneer, who I view as just so powerful that there's not a point in the fight where he just steps in. You know, and, and tries to walk through it. I don't think you can because I think everybody underestimates how strong Izzy is. We've seen it. When Whitaker walked in on Izzy the first time, Whitaker got blanked. Yeah, I I, I mean, I don't know if he, um, because it's weird because in the press conference, Izzy was talking about how he couldn't find his power. Yeah. He didn't feel like he had it. And it's like, but do his jabs feel that stiff? Probably. That he doesn't want to walk in. You know, I, I just don't know. I would uh, assume so. I mean, then you got to worry about knees. Like he's a... As a Muay Thai, Israel Adesanya probably has better Muay Thai, Muay Thai and kickboxing than anybody in UFC right now. Right, which which makes me more worried to stand at mid-range <laughs> than step in. And yeah. That's why I don't understand why no one ever does. So obviously, his jukes or you know, whatever are doing something you know to keep him back. But yeah, and then crazy. And then last but not least, the O'Malley controversy. What did you? I want to get your honest opinion on this because there's a lot of people out there saying, yes, now it's a blatant eye poke. But Munoz was looking for a way out. How? Yeah, I was going to say, how blatant of an eye poke did you think that was? Well, I, I mean, I, that's yeah. the image right there. Right. And he got it in both eyes. But during the fight, he was like, my right eye, my right eye, my right eye. He went to the yeah. press conference and said it was his left eye. Oh, yeah. No, I, I was going to say, I don't believe it was a, like, yes, I know there was an eye poke. Yeah. But they are professional fighters who are getting kicked in the head. So it's hard for me to go like, yeah, and I get, he didn't even take the full five minutes. No. He didn't. It looked he wanted he wanted he out looking for a way out in the biggest way, man. I and, think o- O'Malley was ready to put him down. So that's kind of my take on this as just a casual UFC fan in general. You're getting kicked in the face mm-hmm. with a shin, but yeah. you can't get poked in the eye accidentally and keep fighting. It's like, very that's, suspect. That's, I mean, the doc left it up to the fighter. I mean, to be right. completely honest, though, I almost think a new rule is like you get 10 minutes and we're fighting. And if you can't see after 10 minutes, then like as long as it's an incidental eye poke. They're, well, they're worried about like detached retinas and different yeah. things like that because that has happened okay, from the eye poke in the past. It could also happen with getting a freaking heel to your face. 100% so I, agree I, with you. I don't know. I think I, I, it's an ultimate fighting championship. That's what UFC no, stands I agree. for. I agree. And you're going to call a fight because a guy accidentally got poked. In the eye. So what do you do with Sean O'Malley now, Gabe or Mike? Um in my in my opinion he gets the win it's well it's technically that's the thing it's technically a no decision so like if if he goes anywhere in the rankings in theory he should stay roughly where he is he could maybe go up one exactly nick one he could no i meant just up up in general because he didn't knock him out he didn't tko him he didn't finish the fight he didn't win on point he made him quit in my opinion in your opinion though that's the thing is it's in theory, if you're actually doing rankings correctly, it needs to be based off fact and not opinion. Factually, 
This was no decision. I went and poured myself a rage drink um, <laughs> after this happened. So you're kind of making me realize right now that I didn't go back over the first round and watch it again. So I don't really remember what like O'Malley was winning. The fight oh, for not sure. not just but winning. Was he O'Malley destroying him. I can't remember that in the first in the first round of the fight. Munoz had one significant strike landed. Yeah, it was probably it was ten eight, wasn't it? It was a ten, yeah. It was a ten eight round. Okay. Pre- prior, O'Malley was let like leveling him. It See, wasn't even close. For some reason, I don't remember it being that that one sided. But I but I do believe you. So yeah, um, yeah. I I think he does go up in the ranking because he did make him quit. You know, because clearly the dude was oh, quitting. Yeah. I mean, it, it gave really up. Was sad to watch when the ref was asking. Like you know, they just kept putting it back in his lap, and you could tell, man, his body language, what he's saying, he was fucking quitting. Overwhelmed, man. Yeah. So I mean, O'Malley's the real deal. No, he's not. So, do you run it back, or do you give him a new challenger ahead, uh, above Munoz? You do not I, run him. I, I back. still give him. I, I even with an objective look, I still give him a challenger above Munoz. Yeah. Munoz. Yeah. Like I said, I think he still goes up, but it's definitely not as far up as he would have if he knocked Munoz. No, out. I agree. You see what I'm saying? I agree. What was Munoz so like, ranked? Ten. Yeah. Ten. And yeah. what's O'Malley at? Thirteen. Yeah. So I think you give him nine. And, yeah. And put, put O'Malley. Put O'Malley at ten. Put Munoz at eleven. Or and something give, like that. Give and O'Malley give, and give seven. Give O'Malley seven or eight. Sure. That works for me. I would be okay with that. Who's that? Um, who's that eight? I'm trying to remember what that division is. Is that that's well, lightweight? That's light, uh, yeah. Yeah. Is it lightweight? Uh, it's either lightweight or featherweight. Is it featherweight? Because lightweight's Connor's old division. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Let me see. Let me pull this up right now. So we got Aljamain. No, Sterling. lightweight is uh, Oliveira's division. So yeah, yeah. Um, bantamweight. Oh, oh bantamweight. Bantam, so go. Dominic Cruz is at eight. Rob Font is at seven. There's the fight. Rob Font. Pedro Munoz was at nine. Oh, okay. So no, these are updated. These are updated. He was at ten prior to the he fight. Went up from that. He went up from it, and Oma- no, he didn't move. So he was at nine because it shows the movement. Oh, okay. So he was at nine going into the fight. O'Malley was at thirteen. And they stayed where they were. That's not right to me. But I would give I would but give again, O'Malley it's a no Rob decision, Font. technically, right? Yeah. So like I get where the logic comes from of not moving them. It's a no decision. Dominic Cruz I or like Rob Dominic Font. Dominic Cruz, man. I, I think that is a true like that's a, a great fight. fight. I would that's watch a that gatekeeper, fight. man. I would watch it's that a fight. Name for him if they're trying to build him. Oh yeah. Um, Does O'Malley even, take that fight? Yes. Frankie Edgar at ten even. All right, I, so I would love to actually, see him against Frank Yet Edgar, like a wrestler type base guy. Yeah, I, I actually want to get great. Gabe involved in our argument from this weekend. So, Gabe, Nick and I were. <laughs> Nick yes, I let's were do this this weekend. Mm-hmm. Nick's take is that UFC currently, right now, is at the pinnacle. This no, no, no. A- I said it's in its golden age. WWE Attitude Era, basketball in the 90s to 2005, football from 99 to 2010. Like, there in every sport, there is a golden era where there is an insurmountable amount of talent. It's still small enough to where it's got good roots. It hasn't become, um, you know, I guess corporate. It isn't over, it isn't overrun. It isn't anything like that. I think right now, we are in that era for the UFC. You look at this current crop of champions, female and male, I would put them up against any selected group of champions across history, and I think our champions right now would win. I disagree. 
I also disagree. And that's why I wanted you to involve yourself in this argument. Let's break it down. The biggest con that I have against this era is I will give you the fact that the champions are a lot better than their competitors currently. Yeah. However, to me, one of the things that leads to a golden era is parody and great championship bouts. So if you're having a great five-round match between two guys who are both worthy for the belt, that to me is more entertaining and more fun to watch than a guy who dominates and retains his belt through five fights. I had two thoughts. Mm. Which one of them was that? Basically, that that we don't have these rivalries that are just like defining rivalries. Now, oh, Max, sure we do. Max and Volkanovski was the closest thing we had. Moreno, Figueredo? Volkanovski won no, all no three fights. How is that a rivalry? The, the Are you ki- have you watched those fights about, about featherweight? The, but this is just like boxing, right? How that and this was my other thought is as the heavyweight division goes, so goes the rest of the league. Okay, and we're we're not there with UFC. It's it's just not there. It's we, on we hold. It is definitely mm-hmm. there. You think between John Jones, Francis Naganu, um. There's some of the names. Cyril Ghana. Cyril Ghan. Mm-hmm. Tai Tuivasa. Yep. Stipe. Stipe Miocic. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the... Oh, I'm thinking of Derek. Derek, Lu- Derek, Derek Lewis, who's got a ton of knockouts. You think that... When that, is John Jones going to fight? He's scheduled to fight either next is, this winter or next spring. Uh, same thing. I don't know. To me, the golden age That's of heavyweight it. fighting in the UFC, though, was... More Frank Mir, Brock Lesnar. But those guys would get wiped by the guys we have now. I still think that, well, yeah, but that's because the you sport give me tied My point, exactly. You give me two of well, versus always Les- gonna be Lesnar, though, I, I don't think two of has a fun time. I yeah, really don't. I don't think two of is that level. I think that Stipe is past, even though he's great. I think he's he's just passed. I'd say there's one or two guys in the heavyweight division now that would be fine. Cyril back then. and John Jones would be awesome. I yep. mean, if those guys were active... And that's the thing. I, I think you have a point. I, I think the talent level is there, Nick. I think the top-end talent is maybe better than it's, that it's been. ever been. The very, very tippy-top, one and two. Yeah, and but, that means it's going to make everybody else have to chase. Okay, but if the parity, if the difference between one and two is so great, it's actually worse for fans, is what I'm telling you. So it doesn't actually lend into the golden era. I don't. I would disagree with you. And by the way, when I say era, I'm not talking about our our current. I wanted to make something very clear. If you take from the moment that Connor won his first title to now is what I was more referring to. I don't know, man. The explosion that was the UFC. Yeah, it was due to Connor. Yes, I, I understand. Not just Connor. It was due to Connor. It if it was just Connor. due to Connor, when Connor left, the sport would have wilted, and it didn't. It's because he brought people's attention to the sport, Nick. Not just the UFC. He brought attention to kickboxers like Izzy that were eventually going to come in. But Alexander Volkanovsky was in Pride he before it he came to in. UFC, Nicholas. The viewership of Pride did not boom with Conor McGregor. No, I'm not Stop saying it. that. But the attention paid the, the, to fighters the outside the UFC. Boxing tournaments did not boom with Conor McGregor. Hold the viewership in the UFC boomed because of Conor McGregor. So don't, I guess, and maybe I'm too old to be in this argument because I start melding together eras, right? Yeah. Because it's like, to me, the first golden era that you think of, well, actually, I go way back. So like, I you go know, to, at yeah, its sorry. infancy when, when when it comes up and uh, Liddell and stuff was yes. so huge. Yes, there yes, so absolutely. Many of these big sure. rivalries that felt like back then, but I, I don't know. DJ Penn. But you know, know are go the ahead. pay-per-view sales? At the top of yes. what it is right now. Yes. Well, like, I mean, I know it is in volume. 
I mean, I guess if there's a more comparable metric, I guess, like as far as that stuff goes. Gate sales? They're they're selling everything out. Everywhere they go, they're selling everything out. the popularity of the sport is definitely increased. I I don't necessarily think that that means that it's the golden era of the sport, though. I really don't. I think we have reached a different... Like, one of the comparisons that I draw, and like, yeah, I'm a big Connor fan. The sport changed in the two years he was gone. Connor left as the most dangerous man in the game. He came back and has struggled. Why? Development of leg kick, better grapplers. Um, you talk Maybe about the because he took two years off. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. But you can't disagree that the leg kick wasn't around when Con- wasn't as prevalent when Connor was coming up. The game has dude. changed. I, go watch Look UFC at- one, and the dude was throwing leg kicks like crazy. His name was yeah. Grace Gracie. One guy. One guy, Michael. That's like that Babe Ruth. Was like a new thing when Connor left. I'm not though. saying it's a new thing. I'm saying it's been adapted. How about Chael Sonnen goes on his did a, a rant on this on his podcast three or four weeks ago and said, "Listen, UFC used to be you were a master at one thing, and you would choose your matchup based on being a master of that one thing and see how far it would take you, and you weren't sharing your secrets with anybody. You put." Some of these guys now that have Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu and boxing and wrestling and all of these other tools together and are sharing, learning, and growing as a gym. Very evident by like um, Top Team or City, City Kickboxing Kickbox. or whatever the case may be. It's just different. The game has erupted. It's It's kind of like when the NFL went from... You know, nobody shares any information to Tom Brady was sharing plays with Peyton Manning. And then all of a sudden we saw this revolution in the way that quarterbacks operate offenses. You can't deny that that has aided in the growth of football. What are we arguing here, though? Because I thought you were asking if it's a golden era. Yes, that was my question. But if you look at these champs that are on the board right now. Yes. Which one of those guys do your friends geek out about or go crazy? Like there's no... Conor McGregor, Izzy, Kamara, no, Amanda Nunez. I know their skills are there. I'm saying, like, honestly, Kamara is a pound for like pound. Love them as much as as they love these champions of the past. Because, like, yes, Connor, I do. I really, really do. You think one of these guys sells as many tickets as Conor? Izzy does. Yes. No way. Yeah. Oh yeah. No way. He oh yeah. Does not he does not engender the love that like uh, that what Conor did. I'm not even a Conor. I don't love Conor, but I could see people went nuts for him. I. I I hear so much people who don't like him, and I like Izzy a lot. And I feel like he does something that repels people. And I don't see a Ronda Rousey. I don't see a Conor That's, McGregor. I, I was don't just see about to bring up Brock that Lesnar. Too. Like when Ronda, it's an American bias. Okay, when Ronda was there, there was one weight division for women. Okay, when well, there were two, yeah. she was in two of them. Okay, but now there's six. That's the other thing. You go back to Frank Mir and Chuck Liddell and these other things. There were six weight classes. There's eight to ten four now for women. Right, which, Straw, fly, which that would uh, phantom and feather. So does that I would does say that's watered down then? Does it expand things? Yeah, but th- you're getting exposure to other guys. You want to talk about these legendary rivalries? A lot of those only happened because there were guys that were stuck between weights right. that had to fight at a specific level. You'll see it over time. Guys that have that Kamara has just dwarfed over and over and over and over again. Eventually, somebody's going to come into the 170 pound division like Kamzat Chimaev and be like, "This isn't the case anymore." You're going all ships rise on high tide. It may not be immediate, but the talent level of the sport, based on the champions that we have now, is only going to make the UFC even bigger. Think about it. 
uh, the rock and Dwayne Johnson gave paved way for triple H and John Cena and all of these other, these other superstars. Why? Because there was an expectation. There was a bar set that everybody had to get to. That's what we're experiencing right now. See, I think that's, I don't know. I disagree. I don't, I I mean, if we're going to go down that tangent, it wasn't necessarily the rock. You're going to, just dismiss Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan and all these huge, massive stars that when they were a regional company, Austin. bro. So there were absolute national stars that made wrestling what it was. So The Rock could come in and fill that role. I agree, and that would have been Frank Mir and Chuck Liddell and Vitor, those guys. Sure, but that was before. Let USADA was testing and all of this other that stuff. that we're trying to make I, here and not... Yeah, Gabe, please. Yeah, yeah. Because we're not staying on this. point here. I either. feel like we're... Exactly. Like, we're having two... Because I agree with you, Nick. The skills are better than ever. The I agree that the sport is more popular than it's ever been. Because it's on the way up. It's a rising sport. Yep. I, I So I totally agree with you on that. I'm just saying that... To call it a golden era... Golden era is defined by rivalries and by great champions. And I know that these guys are that skill wise, but I don't feel like they have that aura or that that thing that it, like Larry Holmes is a great Here. champion. He doesn't have that aura that Mike Tyson has. To prove True. this argument, you just said seven minutes ago that the golden era for NFL football was 1999 to 2010. Yep. And yet the Super Bowl last year was the most watched Super Bowl ever. So viewability and popularity does not necessarily correlate to golden era. Or, or your age, man, because it's right. funny. I hear that era, and it's like, what? <laughs> like, I don't know if I'd necessarily... I would say, yeah, 97 to... When people could still hit 2010. Yeah, 2008, 2009. And I'm older, so it's like I go back to like, like what? Like Joe Montana yeah. era. Like, I mean, that's when I think and of And we it just didn't as... get to experience that, that mm. blessing. Yeah, that's true, that too. That was Joe Montana. That's true, so. too. All right, well, let us know what you guys think. Is the UFC currently, as of right now, in the golden era of the sport? I, I, I can't wait to hear what people say. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear the responses. Great. I really am. Yep. All right, with that, we will transition into the AFC West predictions as we continue going through the NFL. Bro. Um, how many divisions do we have left? Is this it? Uh, well, we have the South. AFC and NFC South, and that's it. Okay, we're getting close. Getting, getting close, close, which means the NFL season is just getting a little bit closer. Um, by the time I think we're done with this, we'll actually be like 30 days away from NFL regular season football. Yeah, I think man. we end this series as talk. camp opens up. We'll, we'll talk preseason a little bit at that yeah. point. Yeah, kind of. We it's almost like we planned it out. That way. We're a professional show, regardless of what all of you assholes on TikTok think. Um, but I we, call you assholes. <laughs> Thanks, Gabe. We can start. And I'm, man, this division will devour itself. This AFC division. I don't have a single team below 500. I don't have a single team two games below. Like, I have each team in this division two games above 500, and one of them is going to have to finish in last place. Yep. Yep. This is the, I will, I'm going to make a crazy prediction here. This is the greatest division I will probably witness in my entire lifetime from top to bottom, this all four teams. Era. Stop. The golden age of no, the no, 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 no. One year. I think there's there's a year here. It's probably going to be the best division in football ever, to be honest. Yes. 
Yeah. To be honest. Yes. Oh yeah. So Talk let's start with, Talk let's start, let's start with the chargers and then, Hey, quick round of applause to the social media teams for putting out, um, yes. schedules that looked good that we could use on this show. So I didn't have to make them. Congratulations. Keep doing what you're doing. Rest of the NFL fucking take notes. Um, weeks one through five for the chargers with a lot of additions this year, like Cleo Mack, JC Jackson. Um, they bring a lot of their other pieces back. They improve the O-line for Justin Herbert. They have they open the year. At home versus Vegas, they go on the road to Kansas City. At home versus Jacksonville, and then two road games: Houston and Cleveland. Mike, how do you got them starting? I got them four and one. Okay, with a loss on the road to Kansas City. Um, I think a lot of the AFC West games, other than Kansas City, um, are going to be basically who's playing at home that week. Okay, so Las Vegas coming to uh, Los Angeles. I think it goes to Los Angeles. Jacksonville, I think, is just a not as talented team. That's going to be not. Close game. Same thing with Houston. Cleveland is going to be interesting, but Cleveland is now basically going all in on Jacoby Brissett, and I don't <laughs> think that's going to be super successful. So four and one to start the season. Okay, I got him at three and two. Um, I actually think they open the year with two straight losses. I think facing a good pass rush, which we know Chris Jones can provide, and which we know Vegas will most definitely Chandler have. Jones, right? Yeah, Chandler Jones and Max Crosby very early in the year against a young Gurr or offensive line could pose some problems. And I don't think that Staley will have all of it ironed out with that defense in the additions that they have in weeks one and two. And those defenses are that the offenses that they're playing are very good. So I will give the nod to Vegas and Kansas city to start the year. Um, but then they'll beat very easily Houston, Jacksonville and Cleveland. Okay. Um, next stretch on the board here would be a week six through 12, where they go home where they have a home game against Denver and Seattle before they get their bye. Then they get a road trip against Atlanta and San Francisco. Then they go, they have a home game versus Kansas City and a road game against Arizona. Mike, how do they finish this stretch? I'm going to say they finish this stretch at four and two. Uh, they beat Denver at home Monday Night Football. That's a very close, good game. Okay. Um, I think Herbert earned some flowers there as just a developing quarterback in the NFL. Uh, Seattle, that's a rough team. We've talked about that. They go yeah. into the bye week with one loss. So I have them one, two, three, four, five, six, and one going into the bye week. They come out of the bye week, defeat Atlanta. Again, just not a great team. Um, I don't think the Marcus Mariota play action game <laughs> is going to be effective against Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. Uh, I think that's going to be a rough one for Atlanta. You might need a padded chin strap. Uh, San Francisco on the road. I'm going to give my nod to San Francisco on that one. Oh, okay. Um, and then. Kansas City is that one team that I think can actually come into Los Angeles and walk away with a win. So, wow. Uh, and then Arizona, I think Los Angeles takes it to Arizona in there. So I have them four and two during the stretch losses to San Francisco and Kansas City. Only loss I have on here is San Francisco. I think it's going to be easy for them to beat Atlanta coming out of the bye. Um, and then that San Francisco game. Listen, they got a lot of their good games, their competitive games at home in this stretch, they get Denver at home, they get Kansas City at home. You know what I mean? So, like, they're two real worrisome games. They do get in this stretch on at home. When they have to travel to San Francisco, um, you know, that's going to be tough. San Francisco's a rowdy crowd. They got a good pass rush. They Shanahan will be able to run the ball, limit a lot of things for Justin Herbert. I give them, I would give them a loss there as well. So eight and three uh for that stretch in the schedule. And then third set of games. They have at Vegas, home against Miami and Tennessee, at Indianapolis versus the Rams, and then on the road to end the year against Denver. 
So surprisingly, I have them losing to Vegas here. Okay. I actually have them losing to Tennessee at home as well. Okay. And then what I'm going to say is that the next two games against Indianapolis and the Rams are both going to be really good games. I just I don't see the edge rush for Los Angeles being able to really slow down Jonathan Taylor. Gotcha. A whole lot. So I think that's going to be a weird one. And with that, I know this this is kind of a cop out, but I'm going to say they lose to either Indianapolis or the Rams. Um, and that finishes them at 11 and six. I also have them at 11 and six. I have them losing to Vegas. So when I looked at this originally, I thought they were pretty much going to so split Vegas sweeps, sweeps LA. Um, and they beat Miami. They beat Tennessee. I think Tennessee at that point in the year, going to be a little banged up. Um, they also bang people up. True. To play them. <laughs> However, that defense has taken a step back. I believe this year. Um, and the chargers offense has taken a step forward. Okay. okay. Um, so when they're respecting the king, that's on you. They, I think they lose to Indianapolis. I think they beat the Rams, and then I think they lose to Denver, Week 18, because Russ is going to be doing everything in his fucking power to get Denver into the playoffs. I don't think it's going to be enough. Yeah, we'll talk I about mean, that could, here in the they minute. Could definitely lose to Denver too. I might have them at 10 and seven. So 11 and six for me for the Chargers. Pretty str- to open this, I was like, "Oh, that might be our division winner." Then I went through the rest of this and went, "Holy shit, it's going to be a whole lot closer than it's that." Be, it, this is a division that's going to go down to divisional record points, points for, four points against. against. Who's got very, wins against two? Close. Yeah. So all of those games, that game against Kansas City in Week Eleven, is damn near a playoff game. Yeah. So it's going to be fun to watch these teams this year. Absolutely. All right, on to Kansas City Chiefs. Lots of changes, but a lot of the bones stayed in place. Yeah, I mean, their core, other than Tyreek Hill, is pretty much back. Yep. Um, They got Juju, right? They got Juju. So it's going to be interesting. They also got MVS. Hmm. I'm more excited to see Juju. I'm I'm more excited to see MVS. Okay. Uh, So let's start off their season, (laughs) uh, weeks one through five. First, Arizona, Los Angeles Chargers, Indianapolis Colts, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then finish week five. With the Las Vegas Raiders Monday Night Football. Did I just step into Bizarro World? Yeah. Mike's reading the schedules? I'm, what the fuck? I'm doing post-production. I'm reading <laughs> the schedules. Look at the personal development on Mike this last week. So what do you have him finishing through five, Nick? Uh, three and two. Uh, wins against Arizona and the Chargers. Obviously, going back to our last uh, schedule breakdown there. And then losses to India, uh, Indianapolis and Tampa Bay. I know this isn't an Indy segment, man. Indy seems to keep popping up in all of these different... Divisions that we've done so far, I don't. Ryan quite a bit, I though. don't have them losing a lot of games. That defense and that running game is really good. If they it's sign a, a single receiver, it's a good formula. They're a playoff team. Yeah. Um, so losses to Indy and Tampa for very similar reasons. Um, they have really stingy defenses. They can run the ball they really don't well. Turn the ball over. Yeah, exactly. Um, plus, both of those games being played on the road, and then they'll they have a home game against Vegas, which they will win. So I have them at four and one. Yep. Uh, I do think Indianapolis is going to be a weird one for them. But Kansas City's ability to score pretty much at will against pretty much any defense. Interesting. Um, I mean, out of, uh, what, four years, five years of Patrick Mahomes? Yeah. We've seen him truly, like, shut down, I want to say, maybe two or or three times. So I don't care how good your defense is. The odds are not in your favor to stop that man. So I'll go four and one. um, And their losses at Tampa, Sunday Night Football, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady's just one of those guys who's just going to find a way 
31-28, last second field goal win for Tampa, something like that. Bring out the golden shovel, Tom. Bury the young bucks. It's it's just like that sometimes, isn't it? So going right. into the second segment. Yeah, second uh, stretch of the schedule. We got at home versus the Bills. They go on the road to face San Francisco before they get their bye. Then they come home to take on uh, Tennessee and Jacksonville before they go on the road to face the Chargers and then end this stri- stretch at home versus the Rams, which I think is a schedule break, uh, if you ask me. Uh, Mike, how do they do? So I actually have them losing to the Bills, losing to the Niners. So they go into the bye week sitting at what, four and three? Yep. Uh, they come out of the bye week. They do defeat Tennessee. They beat Jacksonville handily. I'm sorry, Jags fans like Duval. Uh, <laughs> The Chargers, that's a good one again. Um, hmm, That's a road game. Yeah, I'm still going to go Kansas City. They're probably the one team that could sweep those good teams in the AFC West this year. Yep. And then at home against the Rams. That is a fun game, man. Uh, I'm pretty sure I went Rams during our Rams segment, so I'll go Rams in that one. Okay. So I have them losing to Buffalo. I'm sorry. That team is a wagon this year, and they're going to be really good. Okay, Uh, they'll beat San Francisco on the road. I think the lack of defensive backs against San Francisco is going to be a problem against Kansas City. We saw that in the Super Bowl. We'll see it again here. Um, And they may have Trey Lance playing, and he's going to have some rookie hiccups as well. Um, Then they have a bye. They'll they'll beat Tennessee. It's impossible to beat Andy Reid coming off the bye. If you don't know what his record is, go look it up. It's impeccable. Uh, They'll beat Jacksonville. They'll lose to the Chargers on the road, and then they will beat the Rams because they get them at home 7-4. and All right, and then the the third stretch, uh, weeks 13 through 18, is going to be Cincinnati at Cincinnati, uh, Denver at Denver, Sunday Night Football. Houston in Houston at home against Seattle at home against Denver and then finish the season week 18 on the road in Vegas. What do you got them doing the last few weeks? Well, I told you they were going to beat Cincinnati because I was ding, ding, ding in it. And then uh, they go and take on Denver. Obviously, they lose there. Uh, Russell's going to be doing everything in his power to keep them in it late, um, especially playing in mile high removed from their bye. They may be a little banged up there. Uh, easy wins against Houston, Seattle. Um, they'll beat Denver in the home game, and then they will lose to Vegas at the last part of, in the last game of the year, week 18. Uh, they finish 11 and 6 as well. So tied with the Chargers. So I actually have them falling to Cincinnati in Cincinnati. Oh, weird. I have them. That's a contradiction. I have them falling to Denver in Denver, week 14, Sunday night football, and then winning out. And that puts nice. them again at 11 and six. Nice. Here's the thing. Okay. So if it's contradiction in Cincinnati week 13, <laughs> then I'll say that they lose to Vegas week 18. That's fair. Cause like, that's, that's the thing with these games is the margin for error is so small. Let's say I, I bet on Kansas city 51% and Cincinnati 49% in week 13. And if I'm wrong, same bet week 18 type thing. Sweet. Like it's, it's too close to call almost at times. So 11 and six though, is my record prediction here in the early part of July when we don't know who's playing for either team. <laughs> I got you. Now I'm going to challenge your your host skills. I got to piss like a racehorse. Tell everybody about the changes that the Denver Broncos have made, and I'll be back by the time you break down the first part of the schedule. Fair? Okay. Uh, so, I mean, the biggest change that the Denver Broncos <laughs> have made throughout this season or throughout the offseason is going to be the quarterback change. Uh, bringing in a potential future Hall of Famer in Russell Wilson will vault that team. Uh, I predict them to be in the playoff hunt for the AFC West. 
and we'll kind of start the schedule breakdown here without Nick. Uh, weeks one through five for Denver. Surprising. Uh, Russell actually gets Seattle in week one. Um, and I'm not sure if that's home. That's actually away. So he goes back to Seattle week one. It's going to be a fun game. Seattle doesn't have a team that's going to be putting up much of a fight, unfortunately. Uh, so Russ takes that one pretty easily, in my opinion. Um, and then the next week, they go back to Denver to face Houston at home against San Francisco on the road against Vegas and then at home against Indianapolis to round out the first five weeks. I'm going to say that they are sitting at three and two at this point in time through five. Um, the Seattle game should be a very easy one for Denver. There's there's my trusty co-host. Uh, the first one's going to be very easy for Denver in Seattle. I just don't see Seattle putting up much of a fight. Rashawn Penny might have a good game, but other than that, it's not going to be good. Uh, Houston's not a good team, no matter how much Nick loves Davis Mills. He's he's not the future in Houston, in my opinion. Uh, you Sam, leave Davis Mills alone. Uh, San Francisco, that's, that's their first loss of the season, in my opinion. Um, San Francisco is just one of those teams that can run the ball and chew up the clock, and they're very, very difficult to score on and keep pace with because of that. Uh, and then I have them losing to Vegas. That's on the road. I think that's kind of going to be the symptoms of the AFC West is do you have the pleasure of playing your division rival at home, or are you in enemy territory? Um, and then I have them coming home and defeating the Colts week five, three and two to start off the first five. I have them at two and three. Um, listen, I, I, I want to make this very clear. It's not that I don't have faith in, in Russell Wilson. That's who I was supposed to talk about as a big change, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. The other one would be Nathaniel Hackett. What has Nathaniel Hackett struggled with as a track record as the offensive coordinator in Green Bay? Creativity at points. I don't know. Is that right? I would say creativity. I would also say he has struggled to produce solid game plans against above average pass rushes like San Francisco. Okay. So I think there is more questions about him as the head coach than there is about Russell Wilson as the quarterback. I, I mean, it's just unproven, right? Right. Russ so, has done it. Hackett hasn't. Can they beat Seattle and Houston handedly in weeks one and two and look really good? Yes. They better. <laughs> they better. Can they beat San Francisco, Las Vegas, and Indianapolis? I'm not sure, and I think they drop three straight games there because those defenses are going to give Russ and that offense a lot of problems. If they were to defeat one of those three, who would it be? Probably probably Vegas. On the road? Not Indy at home? Indy's got good corners. They See, signed Stephon Gilmore. I think and... they, they beat Indy, though. Is they're going to be coming home from a divisional loss? Yeah. Just went down 2-2. I would say Russ is a top 10 quarterback, yes. 10. He is 10. Yeah, without my list in front of me, I'd say 8-9 range. Um, yeah, and I just don't think Russ lets that happen. Going down two straight losses, just had a divisional loss on the road. You got to rebound. It's kind of that argument that you've been making this whole time. Russ wills them to that win. Yeah, I think that's that's the first Russell Wilson win, Mister Unlimited. All right, and then the second segment uh, starts off on the road against the Chargers, at home against the Jets, 
on the road in Jacksonville. Bye. Bummer, you guys got to go to Jacksonville. Uh, there's a bye week <laughs> on the road in Tennessee and then at home against the Raiders. Is that week 12? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, actually, week 12 is against the Panthers there, oh. bud. Yeah. They got to go see Baker. Yeah. They got to go see uh, the Bake Show in Carolina. Um, I've got them losing to the Chargers because that's a road game. Yep. This division is just going to be carnivorous. For our word of the day today, carnivorous. Carnivorous. Um, they will be the word of the the word of the week last week was curmudgeon. The word of the week this week is carnivorous. Yes. Uh, then they will take the New York Jets and Jacksonville quite easily, heading into a bye. Coming out of the bye, uh, they get Tennessee. I was such a coin flip on this because they are coming out of a bye, but they're coming out of a bye and having to go play Tennessee on the road. I th- if I'm not mistaken, Tennessee also has a week nine bye. They might. So it's, it's I it gave them in the realm of possibility. I gave them a win, but a slight breeze either direction would push me to one side. So any wind at all that game. Yes. Uh, they'll then beat Vegas at home and then beat Carolina on the road. They're at seven and four, but they could very easily be sitting at six and five if they don't take care of that Tennessee game coming out of the bye. So I actually have them at seven and four as well. Uh, so the four losses thus far, it's going to be San Francisco week three, uh, Las Vegas week four, Los Angeles Chargers on the road, and then Tennessee on the road. Damn, I just noticed I got them on a four-game losing streak. They lose every game. San Francisco, Las Vegas, Indy, and then the Chargers. Yep. Holy smokes. Yep. Okay. And I have them, I mean, I have them <laughs> one and three during that stretch, so it's yeah. not much better. Um, yeah. The, it's 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 <clears> interesting <throat> that the NFL is almost this top-heavy because you get teams like the Jets and the Jags that if you play an even middle-of-the-road team, you're just going to get shit-stomped. Yeah. Um, if they flop here, the season is done. Yeah, if they Denver, flop at all. If Denver loses one of those games, they might it's be done. Out, they're out of it because that division is so yeah. tight. Um, but Vegas, they're going to be at home now. I do have them basically splitting home and away. Yeah, and then Panthers. Or the Panthers. Christian McCaffrey will be hurt. That's the thing is if CMC <laughs> is healthy, that's a good game. But Denver still. Yeah. And they have Baker. So, so really quick. Ten seconds. Baker Mayfield is probably going to be the starter for Carolina, right? We have it at the end of the schedule, okay, cool. at the end of the show. Um, last part of the schedule for them, they go to Baltimore, home to face Kansas City and Arizona, then a road stretch uh, to take on the, the Rams, the Chiefs, and then they end the season at home against the Chargers. Mike, it's crunch time for us. Oh, I got three <laughs> losses here, too. Okay. Uh, Baltimore on the road. Agree. Better better ball control, right? Keep the ball out of Russ's hands. Rams on the road. Agree. Better pass rush. Kansas City on the road. I, but yeah. That's so yeah, 10 we have and the, 7. I also have them at 10 and 7. So the first two are 11 and 6, and then Denver's 10 and 7. So That's going to be tough. Listen, if anybody has the recipe to take down Russ, it'll be the Rams. They've played him twice a year for the last... Ever? I think Sean McVay is probably pretty familiar with Russell Wilson. Yeah, and the Chiefs, late in the season, are a handful. You're going to go to Arrowhead on New Year's Day. Good luck. Yeah, like sorry. The entire <laughs> I'm not sure who you are, or the who entire you're the entire state will be drunk and happy, and you're going to have a hard time hearing anything. So ten and seven. Could ten and seven make them a last place team? 
10 and 7. <laughs> See how weird this gets? I mean, we've done. Yeah. Oof. All right, let's look at the Vegas. Does, does 10 and 7 give you that coveted 7 seed? Raiders. So, this team, another team that has vastly improved. I think the signing of Devontae Adams, big improvement for him and Derek Carr. The bringing in of Josh McDaniels, big improvement. Not any of the questions that we had about Nathaniel Hackett, right? I think even under Bill, Bill kind of took care of the defense. Oh, they get the Hall of Fame game this year, too. Yep, McDaniels takes care of the offense, right? Which would lend to Josh Jacobs, and then they bring in another pass rusher. Some of their other defensive pieces in the secondary get a year older. Should be a really good team. Uh, so they open it up against the Chargers and on the road. Then they get Arizona at home, Tennessee on the road, Denver at home, and they kind of go every other. Then Kansas City, uh, week five on the road. Mike? So I have them literally winning their home games and losing their road games. So No faith. Lost to Los Angeles. They beat the Cardinals. Lost to Tennessee. They beat Denver. And lost to Kansas City. Las Vegas Raiders team is very much a true pro-style NFL football team. You face teams that have high-flying offenses. Examples, the Chargers and Chiefs. I don't think you can necessarily keep up. Because you are very much a team that needs your running back to run for 100 yards, your quarterback to throw for 250, you're very much of a standard NFL team, in my opinion. I think a team that can also hold on to the ball a lot longer than your typical opponent i.e. the Tennessee Titans, that also kind of throws a wrench in your game plan. So because of the wrenches that those three teams are throwing into that cycle that the Raiders are trying to adhere to, I think that those are their losses there. All three, I would say, pretty close games. McDaniel should produce a top-five offense for the Raiders this year. Josh I, would, Jacobs, I would agree, but it's based on efficiency more correct. so than like... Car throwing for 400. Correct. That makes sense. Because I think Renfro in the slot is going to be a weapon. Think, uncovered by Devontae Adams. So they got Waller. Yeah. They got Jacobs. Yeah. They got a good offensive line. Yeah. Like I think it's going to be more so consistency over the season, though. I wouldn't be surprised if Carr throws for 300 every game instead of having that 515-yard game. And then explosion. the 150-yard yeah, game. Exactly. No, I totally get that. But I have them losing to Tennessee and Kansas City. Okay. Tennessee early at home. Healthy Derrick Henry. Healthy, like just a healthy run game, right? It'll be a little difficult. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> they beat the shit out of people. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and then at Kansas City, that'll be, I think, McDaniel's first true like coaching test. Squaring off by himself against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and everything that that team has to offer. They lose that game. I expect it to be a close one because yep. without McDaniel's, they have competed in Arrowhead before, yep. but they'll lose. Okay. Agreed. So next part of the schedule here, uh, they get a week six by a little bit earlier than some of the other teams in their division. Um, but they go week six by, you get Houston at home, New Orleans and Jacksonville on the road, Indy at home, and then a road trip against Denver and Seattle. I have their only loss coming in week 11 at Denver. Okay. Um, Houston doesn't need to be talked about. New Orleans doesn't need to be talked about, in my opinion. We forgot that they signed Tyron Matthew and Juice. New Orleans? Yeah. Okay, cool. They <laughs> still have Jameis Winston taking snaps. I don't care. Uh, Jacksonville, sorry. You're the Same. Jacksonville Trevor Lawrence's right now. Yep. Um, Indianapolis, that's going to be a really good game. Loss. And the reason that. I'm going to tip it towards Vegas is because it's in Vegas. 
Um, I just I think it's going to be a close game. I think Oakland or Las Vegas's defense does enough to bottle up Jonathan Taylor enough. Maybe he still has 80 to 90, but Matt Ryan's going to have to come out of his shell and throw a little bit. And okay. I don't think he can do it for him. Uh, the at Denver one is tight divisional game loss. on the road against Russell Wilson. That's a loss. And then Seattle is just a dumpster fire. So, yeah, I actually have them. Uh, was that six and four? Yeah. Um, seven and four? Seven and four. And that's where I have them is that seven and four. I have them losing to Denver. I have them losing to Indy. Okay. The Indy game for me is because it's going to be a little bit of a trap game. Do you think it's a higher chance that they lose to Indy at home than yeah. it is a chance that they lose to Los Angeles Chargers on the road? Yes. Okay. Here's why. Houston, New Orleans, Jacksonville. Beat them up, beat them up, beat them up. Then you got to go play. After a bye, too. You have a whole month of basically practice games. And then you're going to get punched in the mouth. I, I, I see the argument. By Indy. They'll take a loss there. Um, and then the Denver game on the road, lost, pretty handedly beat Seattle. Listen, here's what I'm going to tell you, because by the time we get through this, some people people are going to be very surprised, but it holds true to the prediction that I made when they got Devontae Adams. If they lose to Houston or New Orleans, or they slip up against Seattle, or they don't take the game against Arizona early in the season, that could be the difference for them between first place and the bottom of the division this year. Yeah, this division is is very college football like like you have to win the games you're supposed to win otherwise you might just be done with your season in week four. Oh yeah oh yeah all right final stretch of the season they get the chargers at home the rams on the road new england at home pittsburgh on the road and then they finish with two home games san francisco and kansas city mike did they win the division holy crap i was just counting it yeah <laughs> uh, oh the one I'm tripping up on. So I have them losing to the Rams. That, yep, on the road. The one that I'm debating on hardest is actually the Week 17 matchup. In San Francisco. I think that's a really interesting matchup. Yeah. Um, Man, I have the Las Vegas Raiders either going 12-5 and five or 11-6, and six, possibly winning the AFC West this year. I did not think I was going to say that a half hour ago. Hey, I said that three months ago. I said the Raiders will win the division. They will beat the Chargers. I, I have the schedule helps them quite a bit. I have them losing to the Rams. I think McVay or not McVay, McDaniels. If there's anybody that knows where all of the bones are buried in New England's defense, oh yeah, it's that guy. So he will beat Bill Belichick. Then they beat Pittsburgh, who will probably have a rookie quarterback starting Kenny at that Pickett point in the year. Should be starting by then. Yes. Okay. And then the San Francisco game is the tipping point for me. I think they beat San Francisco. It's a home game. They lack DBs. I've talked about that with them before. That hurts them against Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro. I love their linebacking core. I love their front seven. So in theory, with that, you would have week 18, San Francisco, or not San Francisco. You would have Kansas City and Las Vegas, both sitting at 11 and 5, playing for the AFC West division title. And guess what? And you the Raiders win it. Wow. I don't, now, know, uh, I, don't, I don't know if Patrick Mahomes will let that happen. <laughs> either. Even though I said that the Raiders would win that game, I don't know. McDaniels will take everything out of that loss early in the season. And you won't see certain plays. You won't see yeah. certain formations. You won't see certain styles or game plans until the last week of the season. 
And if you're Kansas City, you're going to be on the receiving end of a very, very aggressive Raiders team. It's going to be interesting. And this division has me want NFL football tomorrow. Oh. And I'm not even a fan of any teams in this division. So as of right now, I have the Raiders at 12 and 5. I, I would say I, I'm still going to bet on them at 11 and 6. So I have Raiders 11 and 6. I have Chargers 11 and 6. 11 and 6. I have Chiefs 11 and 6. 11 and 6. I have the Broncos at 10 and 7, and they and seven. lose the division. 10 and 7. The seller team. I, I said this, the same thing three months ago. The rush trade was great for the city of Denver. This was the wrong time to try to compete in this division. Why do you think Aaron Rodgers didn't want to go there? Here's the thing, though. You're one injury away or one win that you're not oh, supposed to take. Oh, Absolutely. And Denver is a true Super Bowl contender. Yeah. So I don't I don't know if it was necessarily the wrong thing to do, but it's a bad time. Is, word of the day, carnivorous. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. That's gonna be a good football. Good football. All right, hot corner. We have about five minutes. Oh, we can do this quick. So do you want to do college football realignment or do you want it? To. It doesn't so, matter to me. Here, I care about this the same way Mike cared about. Pippen Jr. and Sharif O'Neal going to the Lakers. It doesn't matter. You're paying everybody now. It's time to just divide it up by region, and then you schedule it out based on your win and loss record from the year previous. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. So one of the things that you said, though, was break it up by region. Yep. So the closest road game for these two teams. They're in California. The closest road game in division for these two teams is Nebraska. For me, it should be... The Gold Coast Division. There should be a Gold Coast Division. We, Oregon, we UCLA, call it like the U- Pacific Twelve. Yes, Pac Twelve. Oh, that that sounds good. We should name it the Pac Twelve, Nick. No, the Gold just Gold Coast Division. Everybody knows what that is. It's the entire Nick. It was the Pac Twelve. I get it. I get it. Northwest, South, East. What I what I loved Four. about college football. I mean. <sighs> It's such a fine line. I do think college athletes should be getting paid to an extent. To an extent. You make that university millions of dollars. You shouldn't be able to not afford dinner and eat ramen. I agree. To an extent. However, the money game in college sports has, in my opinion, ruined the game. Because one thing that makes college sports so fun is the history. Is the pageantry. It's UCLA versus USC. They hate each other. It's for a Pac-12 championship. It's... Minnesota versus Wisconsin. It's St. Thomas versus St. John's. And if you're not from Minnesota, it's Johnny Tommy. It's probably one of the most popular college football games there is in this state. And they were Division Three matchups. They used to play that game at Target Field, guys, and sell out Target Field. Like Twins can't even do that. And now, because of the money... St. Thomas is now a D1AA school, and they don't even play each other anymore. A a rivalry that was around for 110 years or whatever it was is just, poof, gone. Like, that to me is sad, and I get it's kind of an old guy's take, but that's what made college football, that's what makes college basketball, that's what makes all these college sports so fun. Please go to another subject. Thank you. Nobody cares. Oh, okay. When, when you're fucking advocating for the Tommies versus Johnny, <laughs> the division shift doesn't matter. I'm advocating for the Gophers to have a shot at a Big Ten title ever, to be honest. It's and, over. And now we have to compete with recruiting for USC and UCLA in division. Like, Sabermetric. Done. All they done. Gotta go to Sabermetric. All done. All done. All right. Can, I, can we play a game? 
Can we play Was the Price Right for the NBA stars? Oh, come on. This is fun. Same thing to you. No one cares. Well, the only thing left. Let's talk about Baker. I want to play my game. I, I, I studied right, fine. for this. Let's, let's play your game that yes. you studied for. The game and, that he's fixed for himself. Yes, exactly. No, no, no. It's not, I, just, I, I, I made up this game and I studied for it to make sure I won. It's not I mean, necessary to play this game. Well, I mean, it's my take on the price was right. Or the price is right. So obviously there's a bunch of NBA superstars that got paid. I just want to ask you, over or under, what you, like, I'm going to give you a number and a set of years, and I want you to tell me. If that your, player is worth over or under what? The value it is. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Okay. We can start with uh, the two-time MVP, the Joker. Okay. Five years, $270 million. I'd say dead on. Dead on? Yeah. Good. That's what he got. Very good. Um, Bradley Beal. Five years, $240 million. I'd say he's worth under. Really? Because he signed for 251 Yeah, that's too high for me. That's a... For a Wizards so team for that five d- years, two fifty. Yeah, that's too, you paid too much. You that's a much. that's a true supermax. Yeah, that's that's too much in my opinion for a guy that has no help. Yeah, I, I would say that's too high. All right, Devin Sorry, Booker, four years, two hundred. So that's pretty dang close to the realm of possibility. I would say yeah, that's fifty million. Yeah, it's pretty dead on. Pretty okay. dead on. Four years, two twenty four. Okay, so they paid him more than that. I mean, I mean, it's what fifty six a year. So I mean, now we're splitting hairs, but yeah, I think he's worth that. Cat one year, ten million dollars. He's worth more than that. Are you sure? Yeah. What do you think he's worth? I mean, if if Devin Booker is worth fifty six per year, I would confidently say Cat is worth. 40. Yeah, they gave him five for 215. Or sorry, they gave him four for 224. A penny for every team. Four for 224? That's the super max that we That's talked 56. about. 56. So yeah, they paid him the same as Booker. So I I, I do think we overpaid a little. No! Oh, the truth comes out. But we played for we paid for a used love sack, is what we paid for. I I, I think you're gonna be shocked at what he does at the four or four and a half roll sure. this year. Sure. Zach Levine, five years, two hundred and fifty million. That's too much. That's too much. Okay. It was five for two fifteen. That's more than spot right. on. That's pretty good, yeah. Okay. Ja Morant, and this one is where it gets interesting. Five years. $175 million. I think that's dead on. To be completely honest with you, with what he brings, I think that is dead on. Okay. I think he's a great, great player. I don't think Ja Morant deserves a Supermax. Wow. I don't. I think his lack of an outside shot. Okay, so let me let me defense. let me compare that to this. Zion so Williams. Was, so he signed what? So you said five years, 175. I said that was dead on. What did he sign? I'll get to it after this. Okay. Zion, five years, 230. Way too high. Hmm. Way too high. With what he has shown recently. I mean, what is New Orleans? What has Zion Williamson shown you in the last year other than the fact that he can barely get in and out of the booth at McDonald's? (laughs) So both of these guys both just signed a five-year, $193 million deal. However, Zion being the number one pick and Ja being the number two, if Zion makes an all-NBA team, 
in the next five fucking years. This jumps up to $230 million. Is there any reason why a guy that can't control his weight or stay healthy or have a fluid jump shot or carry your team to the playoffs like Ja has backpacked Memphis should be making more than a guy who's going to be competing for an MVP trophy next year? No, there's no reason. Um, it's just it's New Orleans traded away their big man. And now they're basically saying, oh, well, he is our guy. Here's here's a really quick question for you. You pass an entry pass down to the low block to Zion Williamson. Yep. And Rudy Gobert is covering him. And Zion's got 10, 10 tries with back to the basket to start. Mm-hmm. How many times does Zion score? Five. You think so? Yeah. I don't even think it's that many. I, I really mean, don't. Steven Adams got bullied and Steven Adams Rudy Gobert is not Steven Adams I know that's the that is the popular misconception currently I'm telling you though just wait I would say maybe three times maybe three times by the way if I was the Pelicans don't don't forget Zion 6'9 Rudy Gobert is 7'1 and all of he is not 6'9 he is 6'6 oh there you go Zion is yeah so Rudy Gobert's got more than a half a foot on him you think he scores half the time 6'6 around (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah pretty much did you guys see the zion press conference yesterday i believe it was I did yeah not. dude he grinned at that contract signing like he was getting ready to eat the paper i actually thought he came off really well he's a good honest. dude he, yeah actually, he's a great guy really for for he's how blessed guy. he has been in his life and the things that he's been able to do correct he's actually a pretty down-to-earth individual yeah. however you're a professional athlete but you can't be ballooning up to 300. Not only that, Cannot. he needs to be playing at 270 and get out of the paint. Yeah. Yep, because he does have an okay shot, actually, on yeah. the perimeter. So. I'm on the train. And he's better downhill than he'll be anywhere else on the floor. That's a question. I wonder what the three-point percentage is for Zion, and I wonder what the three-point percentage is for Ja. Jaws is higher, but Zion's is pretty good. It can't be that much higher either. No. Um. But yeah, it was just outrageous. By the way, if I was the Pelicans... So the only real like disclaimers. I would put a thing in there that like if you don't play eighty two games over the next two seasons, we can cut you. I would I would have had weight checks. Remember yeah, Albert? That you remember Albert Hainsworth? Yep. I would have yep. done that. I just said, listen, you have to come into camp around two eighty. Well, I think they're doing the Vikings are actually doing a weight check with somebody right now. Yes, um, Twyman. Yep, Jalen Twyman. Yep, correct. So you have to come in at two eighty. At the all-star break, 280. Enter, leaving the season, 280. If I mean, you dude, can, if you're running do, up do, and down do, do, the floor all season long, in theory, you should be losing weight. Right. But it, even even then, but I would say if you miss if you miss a, a, a weigh-in, you got 60 days to get it right. If you re-weigh in and you still can't make it, I'm taking 50%. I don't care. It's for the betterment of the franchise. Yeah, he's fat. Could he jump over me with one leg? Yes. But he is too heavy. He's ruining his own legacy. All right. And with that, I think we're going to wrap up the show. Uh, quick teaser for everybody out there. Baker went to the Panthers. Next year, he'll be the best quarterback in that division. Okay. Uh, back to the quick teaser for everybody. <laughs> Next week, we will be introducing our Oh, Statmasters. So we're gonna we're gonna start a new game next week. Uh, it's called Stat Masters. Stat Masters Mind. Stat Masters Mind. Uh, so what we're gonna do is in this segment, uh, Gabe is gonna read off two obscure stats. 
Uh, one is going to be true. One is going to be false without giving it away of which is which. Uh, we're going to have like whiteboards. We're going to make a pick as to which one is true or false. Flip the whiteboard uh, and then just keep score on basically doing that. We're going to do probably two or three every episode. Yep. We'll do about 10 weeks as a, as a season. Um, we might make them worth like double points or something towards the end of the season. The so, daily double. So whoever's up at that point isn't technically just winning. But yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, it's going to be an interesting one. Statistics like if you take away all of Hank Aaron's home runs, does he still have 3,000 hits? Or did you know that Mark McGuire had 115 of his career home runs on Fridays? Yeah. S- just stupid made up obscure stats to go along with weird not made up. Obscure stats. James Harden. We got to make the choice of which is which. James Harden three point percentage in opening games of the season is eighty percent. Yeah. So wild stuff like that. Gabe, what do you think? That'll be fun. Yeah, I'm just wondering why we uh, ran through that right now. But uh, but teaser for next week. Tune in, and if you have an obscure stat that Gabe can verify, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Send it. Send it it over to NBC stat stuff. By the way, love it. Yeah. So I'm excited. So we'll have that next week. We will also be covering the, I'm going to go NFC South Okay. next week uh, as part of our schedule prediction as we also prepare for the MLB All-Star break. We may have Nash Walker back uh, in studio to check in on the Twins and some of the things that's going on in the farm system ahead of the All-Star break. Uh, and then I believe we will actually be preparing for uh, the Ryan Garcia fight uh, that is set to take uh, place on the 16th. We'll probably cover that next week on Thursday as well as he continues his rise to stardom against Fortuna, uh, I believe. And I know that's something that Gabe will enjoy. Uh, as always, glad to have you guys with us on another wonderful, beautiful Thursday here in the Twin Cities. Mike, if they wanted to share this with their friends or find other places to watch us, where should they go follow us? Yeah, as always, guys, if you are a sports fan with sports fan friends, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Spotify, YouTube, Patreon, and Twitch. Uh, if you want to watch us on local cable, you can catch us on MCN6. You can also Roku that uh, Saturdays at 10 p.m. That's right. And uh, as like I said, as always, glad to have you guys. Everybody uh, recover from your 4th of July weekend as next week we will be under the 50-day marker. We'll be in the 50s for days until NFL football. Looking forward to seeing you then. This is the last month with no football. football. Thank God. It has been a long stretch. Everybody take a deep breath. We will get there at some point. Stay safe. (laughs) Hehehe.